Today's sponsor is Headspace. You slept every night of your life, so you should be pretty good at it by now, right? Unfortunately, many of us don't get the quality sleep that we need and could use a little bit of help, and that's where Headspace has got you covered. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. And while they have meditations devoted to helping you reduce stress and increase your overall sense of well-being, they have an entire library of sleep stories, sleep music, and other sleep sounds that can help you get the quality sleep you desperately need. And for busy lifestyles, they have what's called wind downs. It's meditations and breathing exercises that are as short as three minutes so they can fit into anybody's schedule. I personally use Headspace myself. I've tried out some of the sleep stuff. It actually works. Like to me, it actually makes a difference. So Headspace, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot. And over 60 million downloads. Try it today for free and start sleeping soundly. So right now, our listeners get 30% off Headspace's entire library of meditations. Just go to headspace.com slash sleep pod for 30% off your subscription, but only until May 12th. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash sleep pod today. I have a quick question for you. What do you think is the most important skill when it comes to selling something online? Is it product creation? Is it building an audience? Is it email marketing? Could be a number of different things. I mean, all those things are definitely important, but one of the, if not the most important thing that you can learn how to do is copywriting. And no, I'm not talking about copywriting like getting your trademarks copyrighted or you know or your 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 intellectual property copyrighted i meant copywriting like you're writing something copywriting copywriting is the ability for you to use words to convince another person to do what you want them to do whether that is buy something or share something or pay attention to something or open something like an email or click something like a buy now button And today you're about to listen to a copywriting masterclass talking about some of the more uncommon parts of sales pages with a good friend of mine and student of mine, Prerna Malik from contentbistro.com. She's actually helped me and my team with some of our sales pages as well. And trust me, it works. And her process is amazing. So we're gonna talk about her process, some of the things that she does to do proper research because You can't determine what to write unless you know about who you're writing for. However, we do get into a lot of components that are very underutilized, underserved, underappreciated on sales pages that likely you haven't heard elsewhere. So make sure you stick around. But first, welcome. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, if he was living in the 1800s, he'd want to be a furniture designer, Pat Flynn. What's up, everybody? Pat Flynn here, and welcome to session 423 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. My name is Pat Flynn, here to help you make more money, save more time, and help more people, too. And a skill that you can learn to do all of those things is learning how to become a great copywriter. Now, thankfully, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars to go to a copywriting academy. You can listen in on this conversation with Prerna Malik from contentbistro.com. So let's not wait any further. You know what's coming, some good stuff. So stick around and enjoy. Here she is. Hey, Prerna, welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Pat. Very excited to be here. I'm excited to chat too. And you know, you don't, you and I have gotten to know each other really well over the past year. You've helping, uh, helped me and my team out 
a bit with copywriting as well. And we definitely want to dive into copywriting too. But I, I, I kind of want to know, how did you get into copywriting? Tell me the story about how you got involved with it. Oh my gosh, it is a long story, but I'll try and keep, try it, to short. keep it short. For us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I started working online way back, uh, like almost 12 years ago. So my daughter was nine months old and I was a stay-at-home mom and I really wanted to do something. So I started a blog and which is pretty much also how I found Juice. And that blog led to, it was a mom blog and it led to uh, some of my readers reaching out and saying, uh, you know, we like how you write, would you write for us? So like, okay. And what happened then was about two years into that, my husband, my aunt got really sick and he was, he was chronically in, in a chronically unwell. He was in a lot of pain and doctors couldn't really diagnose what was going on. And he had to quit his full-time job at American Express because he was in so much pain. He was on bed rest for almost a year. And at that point, again, the blog came to the rescue because a reader reached out and she was like, okay, why don't you get his pH levels tested? And it turned out that he was, you know, he was highly acidic, chronic inflammation. And, but, and we started working on his diet while we were doing that because he'd left work and we were, you know, like we pretty much had our backs against the wall when it came to, to finances and things like that. We were wondering as he gets better, what do we do? Do we take this part-time blogging thing and try and go full-time with it or does it go back to work? And, and we decided to give it a shot for a year and see if we could, you know, um, make this work. So as he got better, we, um, we turned the part-time blog into a full-time business, like reaching out to client, you know, clients that we were working with, letting them know that we we're doing this. We got our website designed uh, pro bono by a former employer. And 10 years later, here we are doing this <laughs> pretty much full-time and doing it really well. So yeah, I kind of fell into the whole writing, copywriting thing. Um, because of our life situation and because of where we were. So that's that's our story in a very small nutshell. Well, there's a lot of different kinds of writing, right? You could write blog, blog posts for people, you could write articles. And I'm curious about what has attracted you specifically to copywriting. And, and maybe you could start off by telling uh, people who are listening to this who aren't necessarily sure what copywriting is and how it differs from perhaps just regular blog articles, for example. Can you define for us what copywriting means to you and, and why is that part of writing attractive to you? Sure. So I did start with blog writing, which falls under the content creation, content writing umbrella, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Copywriting is what I evolved into as I started, you know, working with more clients who then started saying, okay, so I'm launching this program. Would you write my sales page for me? Would you do this? So um, copywriting is essentially words that you put on a page that help you to turn a browser into a buyer. So these could be sales pages. These could be emails. These could be Facebook posts that you use as ads that becomes that become ad copy. This could also be any kind of ads that you actually read in print media, you know, that help you make a buying decision. So that's copywriting. And the reason why I love it so much is because you can like literally take a piece of copy, right, and tie it to, you know, a return on investment that a client makes in you. You can you can test out different things. It's it's such an exciting world. You can see how your 
customers respond to it. It's measurable. It's tangible. It's obviously super exciting to uh, to write and to be a part of a, you know like the whole process. So um, so yeah, that's what that's what really attracts me about copywriting. And thank you for that. And I love how you uh, phrase that the the words that you use to turn a browser into a buyer. And I think mm-hmm. that for those of us who have been online even for a little bit, you you kind of understand how important those words are, especially if you are selling something or even even I'm imagining a landing page where you're trying to collect an email address. That's in a way exactly. cop, copy as well. For, for those of us who are literally just getting started or who have been doing this for a while, but we really haven't paid attention to the exact words that we use, where might one start with just learning how to do it better? Do you have any sort of... Uh, you know, mandatory things that we can sort of just think about before we start putting words to the screen? Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. So I think the easiest way, uh, I'll walk you through like my proprietary process is called the connection conversion framework. Okay. I use that with literally like every single piece of copy I've read, whether it's for like a landing page or an email. So it starts with building a connection. So that is right where you want to start is by really understanding Yes, your customer, that is, you know, that is your starting point. Do you want to lean in and have those conversations with your prospects, with your current clients, with your past clients? Find out what is it that was going on in their life when they decided to hire you if you were offering services or when they decided to sign up for your program. Um, find out what is it that that inspires them? What is it that excites them? What is it that repels them about this industry that you are in? You want to have those conversations that probably no one else in your industry is having with them. So yes, it starts with connection. You also want to validate their past experiences. So the next part of my process is validating whatever they've gone through so far. They may have made buying decisions that they're probably ashamed about or they feel guilty about. They may have you know, lost money on something that they thought would help resolve the struggle they're having, but they you know, ended up getting burned. So you want to validate those experiences or they may have tried something and moved forward. It's not always all negative. You know, they may have moved forward, but now they're still stuck and they don't know how to, you know, break past that barrier. So you want to validate all those experiences that they've had. And then we move to education. So it's connection, validation, education. Education is where you come in, you share your process, you share your framework, you share your you know, know-how and expertise, and you show how, how you can help them break through and experience, you know, experience a better future or make, a, make an informed decision. You give them the education they need. And then finally, you move them towards conversion, which is where you they either sign up for your program, they sign up to your email list, whatever conversion that you're going for, they end up hiring you. So this framework works really well because once you're done with the conversion, you don't just leave there. You loop back to for, you know strengthen the connection that you'd formed right at the beginning. I kind of developed this framework after working on like loads and loads of sales pages and email sequences and launches because I realized that what happens is that very often, once the conversion's over, we just end up forgetting about our customers. Whereas the fact is, the easiest people to continue converting are those who've already bought from you, those who've already trusted you once. It is so much easier for you to keep strengthening that connection and keep, you know, building that relationship you've got with them. So, ideally, your first step would be to form that connection with your with your audience. 
Yeah, one thing that I, when, when you and I have worked together and I've had you write sales page copy for us, one thing mm-hmm. that was really surprising to me is how much research you did in the beginning yeah. to understand that connection. And you had even gone so far as asking me for previous customers that you could reach out mm-hmm. to and literally have conversations with, which I thought was really important um, because mm-hmm. with what came out of that came mm-hmm. the right language, the right things to say. It just made so much sense. But that only came through those conversations. When you have those conversations, whether you hire somebody to, to do it for you or you do it yourself, what questions are you asking? So... Yeah, that's like a huge part of my process is like really understanding who we're speaking with and what is the conversation we really want to have with them through the copy that we're writing, whether it's for sales pages or or email sequences. So our interviews are fairly detailed. And in my case, I usually do those interviews myself and then uh, my team transcribes those interviews so that I can go through them again. And that's like the process I would recommend, you know, anyone who's wanting to write copy for themselves do as well, do those interviews and then get them transcribed mm-hmm. uh, so you can, you know, review it and like actually highlight the words that your customers say. So the kind of questions you want to ask them is, of course, you know, what was it that was going on in their life when they decided to hire you or sign up for their program or buy from you, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. So these are questions Uh, that we're asking uh, already existing customers, right? To help new customers come in, right? Okay. Yeah. If you do have those, if you don't have, if it's like a really new to market product and you don't have any customers, you would still want to have conversations with prospects who fit your ideal customer profile, Mm. but your questions would differ slightly. So this is for like, Say you've got a program and you you want to write copy that's that would convert better uh, for your audience. So you want to ask, of course, what was going on in their life. You want to ask, you want to ask, you know, what were some of the other programs they were considering when they were looking to solve the problem that they were uh, struggling with, and what compelled them to sign up for for this particular program. You know, what was it that tilted the scales in your favor? You also want to ask them. So these so. The first question obviously gives you pain. You know, what is the pain that they're uh, experiencing? The second question tells you who's who are some of your competitors because generally what happens when I ask clients, so, you know, who are your competitors? I always get the answer, oh, um, well, this one is really new. I literally have no one else doing the same thing, which is which is good. But the fact is that your prospects probably are looking at very different solutions and knowing what they are considering, you know, broadens your perspective. And then we can see... A, how are we filling the gap that probably our competition isn't? And B, what is it exactly that, you know, our customers are looking for when they sign up with us? So that's like the second, one of the second questions you could ask. The next question you definitely want to ask is, what is it about our, what is about the client, like Mike is because I do it for clients. What is it about the client's value system that resonates with you? You know, so that tells you what's our what's our prospects worldview. You know, what is it that they really, really value and why do they resonate so much? Again, because we're building connection. Why do they resonate so much with with our client? The fourth question that you definitely want to include is what does a day in their life look like? What is it that, you know, what is it that they do right at the beginning of the day? What is how do they, you know, um, end their day? What what goes on in between? And the reason you want to do this is because it helps you weave in a lot of personality, a lot of specificity into your copy in different ways. So if you know that a large percentage of your you know, clients or prospects are 
waking up in the morning and getting into the car, driving to work and listening to podcasts, then when you write your emails, you can literally create that picture for them. And that is, again, another way you would strengthen the connection. They would see that you understand them, that you, you can actually see what their life looks like. So that, that helps you do that. Another question that you definitely want to ask is, what is it? And this is, this is super important because this would give you tangible, tactical results that they've experienced. So you want to ask them, what is the one thing that they can do now that they couldn't prior to signing up for this program or hiring you for the service? So there are a bunch of other questions because it's like a fairly detailed sure, interview, yeah. but these are like five questions that would really help you uh, to understand your prospect and to see what is it that they're going through? Uh, what is it that they can do now? What is it? Who is it that they were considering before this? And what really helps them to connect with you as um, as either an e-course, you know, provider, service provider? So yeah, I really like that that question about you know what do you value in so and so? So when you were doing interviews with some of my students, you were mm-hmm. asking you know what do you what do you value in Pat? Is that what you were asking? Yep. What was it about Pat's value system that resonated with you? Or what is it about how Pat does business that connects with you? And the answer was so surprising because people were like, you know, we really value the fact that he's, uh, you know, he focuses on his family. There were students who actually went to the point of saying that I cannot sign up for a course from someone who does not have kids. And I love the fact that Pat has a family and he puts them first because that shows me that he can He has balance. He can, you know, he can Mm. balance both and he'll understand me and he would, his course would not, you know, push me to perform in a way that I wouldn't because I have young kids too. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. So when we've learned that, we've then put that up on our messaging, right? Oh, you mm -hmm. probably have a busy life, whether that's managing your kids or working at, uh, working your job. But um, this course is built in a way that allows you to insert it into your life without taking away from the things that are important. Absolutely. And so that's the kind of stuff that you can get from those kinds of questions. And so thank you for sharing. I do have a question that I would imagine is on people's minds right now. And that is, how do you even get people to say yes? And how do you how do you get them on the phone? This is a or, or, or Skype or Zoom. Like, what's your system for, you know, getting people to come on so that you can ask these questions? So here's the thing. People want to be valued. They want to be heard. And if you let them know that you, you let them know that, you know, what you're doing is you are working to improve the messaging of your program or so that you can help more people and that you'd really value, say, 30 to 45 minutes of their time to understand what was, you know, what really helped guide their buying decisions. And if they'd be willing to contribute to that, you'd be surprised, you know, like how easily people showed up. Like, for well, a few programs, I reached out directly because I was part of the student community. I could reach out directly to students and everybody said yes. So um, it just, and again, this is not in just New York. Is it for so many clients, we've like reached out and, or I give clients like an email to send out to students and everybody shows up for the calls. It's because they just want to be heard. They want to know exactly why do they need to get on the call. So as long as you, and this is again part of persuasion, right? If you give people a good reason, they would know, you know, that they they're t- they're not just going to waste their time. So uh, or they're not going to be sold anything. It's just that you really care mm-hmm. and you really want to know what guided their 
decision so you could continue to help more people make the right decision. What if you don't have uh, any mm-hmm. students yet? This is a brand new course. Mm-hmm. I'm imagining the pitch is very similar. Just I want to hear you know, how I can help you. Is there any difference in positioning for how one might be able to get somebody on a call if they don't have students yet? Like, if you know, because I think it makes sense where, you know, mm-hmm. if, if, if a student of mine has been helped, they're going to want to help back, right? And that's, yep. you know, the law of reciprocity. But if you were mm-hmm. a person who's just getting started, you know, I can see it very easily getting in the way of you having the courage to go out and reach out to people. You might say to yourself, well, why would anybody even give me time? I haven't even created anything yet. How do you respond to that? Great question. So there are actually two things that you could do in this case. You could obviously outline, and that's where you would be starting in any case. You need to know who you're, who you're targeting, who you're speaking to, who you want to form this connection with so you could you know, serve them. So you would want to reach out to people in whether it's your, if you're in Facebook groups, if you're in, in LinkedIn communities or um or on your email list, if you're building an email list, which I surely hope you are, um, you know, you would reach out to people and say that. So this is what I'm working on. And I'm looking to talk to five, 10 or 15 people, however many you can, you know, uh, fit in or so who would be able to help me understand exactly um, how to make this super helpful for everybody else. So we would meet on a Zoom call. Uh, this is what I would, you know, the, these are like a few of the questions that I would be asking you. I would not be selling you anything on the call. I just need to know more so I can help people. I can help more people. Um, in this case, sometimes you may want to give people like, say, an Amazon gift card or something for their time. But I don't I don't recall us having done that Um we did the other thing that I was going to suggest if you're launching a new course is uh, to do a survey, which is again something that we did um, when uh, we were, uh, you know, working when you and I were working together on for e- the new email marketing course. Right, right. You email know? marketing magic. Yeah. Exactly. So if we could, you know, like um, if you want to, if you're launching this like brand new and you don't have anything, then you do want to, uh, you know, have like a really good survey and then maybe, you know, pick a few winners, you could give them like one of your other courses, or you could give them Amazon gift cards, and then use the survey data if you can't get on on calls. Got it. Thank you. So much great stuff here. I I definitely want to go somewhere that I think, you know, I love on these shows to go to places that a lot of other people don't go. And I I definitely want to talk about sales pages specifically, because I know a lot of us Mm -hmm. are starting to come up with our own products or create them or you might in the future. And I don't want to talk about the things that you could probably find everywhere in terms of, well, you need, uh, you know, an eye catching headline, you need something that connects. These are all sort of basic copywriting things. I want to talk about really important parts of a sales page that are often overlooked that Mm -hmm. have huge opportunities. And I know because we work together that you have some very good advice Mm -hmm. related to really important parts of sales pages that are often overlooked. And I'm talking about things like social Mm -hmm. proof. I'm talking about things Mm -hmm. like your guarantee and and how the testimonies are are displayed and things like that. Mm -hmm. Do you you mind if we we dig into that a little bit? Absolutely. So... So yes, you're you're right. You know, like everybody knows, like a great sales page, of course, needs uh, needs headlines. You need a good body copy. You need to talk about the pain and you know give them the solution and benefits and all of that great stuff. But um, few sections on the sales page do can do really heavy lifting for you if you use them the right way. And Pat already hinted because we've like talked about this earlier as well is 
your guarantee is definitely one of those sections. Okay, let's that, start. Let's start there then. The guarantee. Okay. So a guarantee okay. is, and we've seen this everywhere, right? Like thirty day money back guarantee. If you're mm-hmm. not completely satisfied within thirty days, send us an email. We'll give you your entire payment back, no questions asked. Right? Like that's yeah. pretty, pretty standard. Can you tell us why a guarantee is important, and then how you approach it? So your, the job of your guarantee is essentially to make your prospect and your future customer feel confident in their buying decision and show them that there's like there's no risk attached to the investment they're making because every every investment comes with certain strings attached and a guarantee helps to kind of reduce the risk and gives your customer that feeling of confidence in in their buying decision so the problem that I see with most sales pages is that everyone just slaps on the templated guarantee, including the templated image that goes with it, which is like a you know, 30-day money-back guarantee. Yeah, with or the blue ribbon around it. Exactly. <laughs> so, so what happens is that people just tend to place past that, and then that leads to customer support issues for you later on, or bias remorse you know, kicking in, and then they're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I've done. But right. if you were to turn your guarantee into a persuasion powerhouse, what you could do is like actually show your customers that you're invested in this. You know, you could show your customers that you really mean it when it comes to um, helping them feel confident in the choice that they're making. And you could really, really reduce, you know, all those refund requests and, you know, I don't know what I've signed up for kind of questions that your team may be getting. So, one of the ways you want to do that is by by branding your guarantee, like almost branding it. Uh, so think about, you know, what, again, this ties into, you know, the conversation you've been having with your prospect and what is it that they want to know from you and the connection that you built so far. So you're almost educating your prospect with your guarantee as well. So you could, you could like for one of our clients, what we did was um, they, in their family, they have this uh, thing about, you know, the, uh, they call it the, badge of excellence this product has our and they have their name attached to it and they say this product has our badge of excellence so um it was like a family thing and we branded their guarantee like that and we said like in the in the Zelensky family we every product that comes in needs to have the z badge of excellence and we don't want it any different for you so we want you to know that this product has the badge of excellence and we're going to stand by it for 60 days from now and if you don't and then you have, like, you know, whatever guarantee you're offering, whether it's a do the work thing or if it's like a no questions asked guarantee. So you put down the terms and um, conditions of that. So essentially just kind of naming it in a way that kind of relates to the product or you as, as the creator. We had we were jamming on this before earlier. So we, we had come up with things like the, you know, the win with Flynn guarantee. <laughs> Right. Like I want every, every yeah. product that you you have that you purchase from me, I want you to win with it. I want you to feel like you've uh, just progressed so far in your journey as a business owner. And so if you get in today, you get the win with Flynn guarantee, which means, you know, this is going to work for you. And if it doesn't, then you get your money back within 30 days, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So just the, yeah. it, that I like I like that. Like it might sound kind of gimmicky. It did to me at first, actually. But when you had mentioned like people see these guarantees everywhere and they just overlook them and they don't think about them, this this sort of naming convention gets people to stop and read a really important component that sort of puts away their fears about making this transaction with you, right? Exactly. Not just that, you know, you're also sharing the reason why this is so important to you, you know, you're also, you're also reinforcing the, the same value system that they, you know, 
connected with you in the first place. So this is your chance to do all of that. Most guarantees are placed way down on the sales page. So the fact that they've reached like that part of the sales page means that they are considering this. Mm. And now is your time to kind of reinforce all of those things that you, you know, talked about. So when you like, for instance, you know, for another client, um, her guarantee, we, we, we didn't even have like, you know, the 30 day money back thing in the headline. We had, you're protected at all times by my, just look around and see who you can help guarantee. And then we talked about her story. We said that, you know, as a former secondary, uh, we talked about like, she's, she's a former secondary ed uh, teacher who's also a stay at home mom. And, you know, we, uh, we talked that, you know, we said that she always tells her kids, just look around and see who you can help. And this course was born out of that need. And now if you feel that I've not been able to help you, you know, then at any time during 30 days of enrollment, just email me back and let me know that this wasn't helpful because that, that wasn't my goal. So again, you're tying into your vision behind the program or, you know, the service that you're offering, you're reinforcing the value system by which you run your business. So all of these things just kind of help strengthen that connection that they've already formed with you. I like it. And you said there was perhaps a second way to approach a guarantee before I cut you off there earlier. Oh, yes, absolutely. The other way is that you answer the, you, add, you, you use your guarantee to address the objection in your prospect's head. So you're, for instance, you could say, I know you're thinking, what if this doesn't work for you? And this is great. If, you know, this kind of a guarantee where you're addressing the objection works really well if you've got like a do the work guarantee that a lot of courses these days have that you need to put in the work so, and then, so that I can see. You could say that, you know, so this course this course would work if you would work. And and if since you're reading this, you come this way down the page, I know that you're serious about solving XYZ problem. And here's what I know. If you show up for my calls, if you're to fill in these worksheets, if you're to go through these modules and you still don't see any results, email my team. Let them know that you were there and it still didn't work and we'll give you back your money. So you want to use your guarantees to actually like demolish objections because those are the that by that time, by the time they reach that on the sales page, they know they're they've kind of bought in to whatever it is that you're selling, but they've still got a doubt. And it could be a doubt about their own abilities, it could be a doubt about their past experience, it could be that they're not they still feel like they want to know you better. So when you use your guarantee to reinforce your values, when you use your guarantee to remove objections you're actually using your guarantee as a conversion mechanism. And yeah. that's its job. Like every element on the sales page has a job. So using like a templated cookie cutter version, you're actually defeating the entire purpose. Gotcha. And and it's best practice to write after the guarantee from what I've heard to just that's a good call to action spot because that's a, that's a big moment. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So Absolutely. we're going to have a lot of people listening to this right now, probably going to their sales pages to see, number one, if you even have a guarantee, uh, mm-hmm. number two, perhaps uh, personalizing it a little bit, uh, and, and then number three, making sure you have a call to action button immediately after that. One of mm-hmm. probably many that should be on that page. Um, another thing that we had talked about earlier that I want to touch on is the social proof part. What mm-hmm. is social proof? Why do we absolutely need it? What is your approach? Social proof, the job of social proof is to show people that there are others like them who place their trust in you. That is obviously one. The second is to show prospective, you know, clients and buyers that your process works, you know, so that's it. 
it's something that's not just being trusted, but it's also being tested. That is the job of social proof. And while the most obvious form of social proof is, of course, testimonials, and the fact is that not all testimonials are created equal. So it's not, you know, just, it's not a matter of just taking every single testimonial you've ever gotten and putting it on your page, but you need to be strategic about it. And you need to choose testimonials that actually speak to your audience and address, again, their objections, address key outcomes, mm-hmm. and help people see themselves in it. So if you know that a large percentage of your audience is moms with toddlers, it would make sense to have te- key testimonials from moms with toddlers. Right. And, and yeah. I, I definitely want to dive into testimonials a little bit more. But let's say, for example, somebody's coming out with a new thing and they don't have mm-hmm. testimonials yet. Um, are you out of luck and there's no way to sort of prove yourself, prove your work, prove your concept to people? Or what, what, we could, what can we do to help people realize that they can sort of instill their trust in us? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So not having testimonials should never hold you back from not using social proof. You can use social proof by using, using studies that highlight the authenticity of the process you're using, or you could use social proof by um, highlighting places and sites or podcasts or wherever you've been featured on media mentions make for great social proof. And again, it's not just enough to put on a logo, but maybe talk about what, what did you share there? What were you, why were you featured? What was it that people said about your feature? So really leverage, leverage media mentions if you've got relevant ones related to your program. Stats are another great way to use social proof. So if you've got a program that addresses like say health issues or even you know anything that's uh, do with online marketing, anything that's got like stats attached to it, you've got a way of using social proof. So the idea is that people get to see that A, they're not alone, B, that whatever you're talking about has has both authenticity and has has some amount of credibility attached to it. You're not just pulling it out of thin air. So once you do that, you could do it, like I said, with, with studies, with stats, with, with media mentions, um, with endorsements uh, from, from mentors who you've probably worked with, who've coached you, who've seen you grow and evolve, and who can vouch for your um, expertise. Again, helps reduce uh, doubt in their mind that you probably don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So these are all different ways for you to get social proof if you're, yeah, brand new in in the industry. So let's say, for example, and, and I'm, I'm using my own course as an example to showcase some of these things that you mentioned and what they mean. So we can give some examples. Mm-hmm. So Power Up mm-hmm. Podcasting, right? My mm-hmm. most popular course to help people start a podcast. If I didn't mm-hmm. yet have testimonials, here's what mm-hmm. I might do. I could share stats, like you said. So I could share, you know, there's less than 1 million podcasts currently available, but it's grown by, you know, 300% over the last year. And now's the time to get in, right? So that almost proves the idea, right? Absolutely. Not, not my course, but just like validating that, hey, podcasting is something you should pay attention to. Is that a good example of something like that? Like a stat? Exactly. Exactly. 
Okay. Exactly. Um, another one would be like a study. Hey, a study was done recently sharing how much people consumed podcasts versus blogs or videos. And studies show that, and here's a chart, right, uh, that shows that, you know, people who read a blog post might read for f- five to 10 minutes, a YouTube video, even less. But a podcast, people listen on average to 30 to 45 minutes uh, at a time. So wouldn't you like yeah. to get in front of your audience for much longer than you would with video and blogs? Brilliant. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. I don't yeah. even know if I have it on the sales page. I should probably put <laughs> it on there. Um, I do mention that in a webinar that, however, because a webinar is sort of like a chopped up sales page in a way, but on the actual sales page, I don't have that. Anyway, go, go ahead. A couple of other things that you could do if you're opening up like a new course and you have no testimonials and you still want, and you want to collect social proof and you always want to collect social proof um, is ask new customers. Like when they're signing up, you could reach out to them and you could like launch a program. And then when you're reaching people are signing up, you could reach out to them and say, okay, you know, would you mind sharing what compelled you to sign up or what got you six, you know, what was the one thing that you're hoping, hoping to resolve uh, or get out of this program. So, and then use that in your emails and then, you know, your social media updates when you're promoting your program. Ah, brilliant. Okay. So let's like, so to, to reiterate, you're launching a brand new course. You don't have like testimonials from people who have taken the course yet. But mm-hmm. as you get people to sign up, you could reach back out to them and say, hey, can you give me like the number one goal that you might want to get out of this course? Or why did exactly. what, what compelled you to sign up? And you can use that in real time during that launch and essentially share it with everybody else. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. So, so, so now yeah. as a prospect, I'm like, oh, other people are buying this too right now. They're just like me. Um, a little bit more proof is is great there. That's great. I think I, I heard another one where if you are also worried about not having testimonials on your uh, sales page, you can still get testimonials, not of the course or the product or the service that you're selling that's brand new, but you can get testimonials from people who have worked with you before. Absolutely, yeah. Can you yeah. can you unpack that a little bit and, and share still why that works? Sure. So let's say you're a service provider, you know, uh, you do graphic design for for clients. And now you're launching a course in which you want to teach others how to do design. So what you could do is you could reach out to clients if you haven't already gotten testimonials from them. You could reach out to clients and you could la- ask them so, or let them know that, you know, hey, I'm launching this course to help, uh, you know, other entrepreneurs or non-designers uh, learn um, graphic design. So would you mind giving me, uh, you know, a short testimonial on how my design skills helped you or what is it about my design skills that helped your business so that you establish credibility? The, again, the idea is for, for people who read your sales page or for people who read your offer to know that you know your stuff, to know that, you know, you can be trusted and you're not just out of, you know, just putting something that you're not qualified to teach. So asking your clients for a testimonial and using that. and But again, please always mention that the te- this testimonial is from someone who you did, you know, like offered a service to, and they're not like students of the program. Your testimonials should never mislead. They should always inform and educate um, and not, you know, like just create an image that isn't really true. Right. Testimonials should always be honest. And on that front, I also know there are testimonials that are real that are not good. uh, Mm -hmm. Not like you said, not all testimonials and and social proof is created equal. A not so great testimonial would be something like, I really enjoyed this course. It gave me everything I needed. Thanks, Pat, which 
that is a testimonial I get all the time, and I'm very thankful for that. But that's not going to be as useful as if you could explain what a good testimonial actually includes and how we can get there. Yeah, help us out. Sure. So a good testimonial should have situation. So that means, you know, what was it that they were struggling with when they decided to sign up for your program? So before I signed up, for example, before I signed up for podcasting, I used to think that starting a podcast is the most overwhelming thing ever. I mean, like there were so many moving parts and pieces. I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And that and that meant I just kept pushing it off my to do list forever and ever. So that situation, a good testimonial should be specific. So it should talk about, you know, what was it that they that they really wanted to get out of the program. So, again, continuing with the same example. Sure. Um, when I signed up for Power Podcasting, the one thing that really stood out to me was how easy and, you know, easily digestible the lessons were. Pat broke everything down step by step. So I never had to, you know, stop and wonder, okay, what do I do next? I always knew that I always had my next step mapped out for me. So that's like really These are good. I like what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) So so situation is what's going on in their life, what was going on in their life, and they decided to sign up, you know, specific. So what was like a tangible thing that they got out of the the program? And then you obviously want to know, you know, where do they sit right now? So Mm -hmm. what is it that was like the key outcome of this? So now that I have my podcast, I've been able to reach more clients. I'm getting qualified leads land in my inbox like pretty much every day. It's like waking up to new business. And the best part is I'm having fun with it all because people love the content. I get so much of engagement and I finally feel like I'm not spinning my wheels any longer. If it, as long as it's specific, it's got, you know, it talks about their situation earlier. It talks about their situation right now. Where do they sit right now um, in their business or in their life? That's a good testimonial. Very uh, Donald Miller story brand in terms of how you've sort of painted this hero's journey in a very mm-hmm. short period of time, right? The before picture, the yeah. challenges, the triumph, mm-hmm. and what's life like now on the other end. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing you want to you do want to keep in mind is that your testimonials should come from people who. Uh, you know, fit your audience profile as closely as possible. It's good to have a good mix of them because you'll, while we do write our sales copy for like one person, you will always have a mix of people in your audience and your testimonials need to speak to that mix of people as closely as possible. What is better in your eyes? A testimonial from a A-lister in the space that everybody knows and they see that testimonial like, whoa, that celebrity actually took this course or is a testimonial from a person that nobody's ever heard of but is more relatable that, you know, they can see themselves in that person better? Both would be best. But if you had to choose between one, I would choose the one that's, you know, slightly more relatable Mm. for the reason um, that people are generally skeptical of celebrity endorsements to an extent. Uh, They don't really know whether that person really took the course or is mainly endorsing it because of, yeah, whatever arrangement. Payment, friend. Exactly, yeah. So choosing someone who's, you know, more relatable, who's uh, someone they would go and say, okay, yeah, this this is me. That's really great. Thank you. Uh, I want to finish off this conversation by talking about what I know another one of your specialties is, which is creating evergreen campaigns. And I know Mm -hmm. you have programs and courses about that. I wanted to, at least at a high level here, talk about that a little bit in terms of 
when you are turning a not evergreen situation, so you're releasing a course, you know, a few times a year, for example, um, mm-hmm. and you are converting it to evergreen, which means mm-hmm. it'll always be on sale now. There's a lot that goes along with that. What are the biggest mistakes that people are making when they're transitioning from live launch situation to evergreen? And then I'll, we'll kind of start, start with that. What are, what are the mistakes people are making? Quite a few. Uh, so <laughs> one of the first trends is they sell too early. So essentially that means like you have you people opt in and then you probably have like a tripwire kick in. And these are like people who probably don't even know you. And the truth is that you may think that it's a $7 product that you're offering as a tripwire. So it doesn't really matter. But for someone who doesn't know you at all, like why would they want to give you those $7, right? So as there's always, I feel, tripwires have a place, but pro- your evergreen sequence probably isn't the best place for them. So selling too early is definitely one of the mistakes, not just with tripwires, but also like, you know, like in your second email, you're probably pitching them your program. So again, going back to the fact that you do want to build a connection with them, but you don't want to spend forever, especially with an evergreen sequence, which brings me to the second mistake that I see is where people wait to forever to sell. So selling too late is the other thing. Where so what's you, the number, Prerna? How, how long should we have them? <laughs> yeah, I uh, know. That's like uh, how long is a piece of string probably. But uh, <laughs> um, the truth is that it would depend on your offer. Right. It would depend on your audience. Like uh, who are you serving? Are you serving online marketers who are, are you, you know, who know um, exactly what the problem is, who know exactly what they want? Or are you serving someone who's, you know, who's trying to just find a new hobby um, and is a stay-at-home mom? So the decision-making process would differ depending on what you're offering, who you're serving, you know, um, and also how are they finding you? Do you are you doing like a lot of um, connection building and giving value through, say, maybe your blog posts or YouTube videos? So they, when they, by the time they sign up for your opt-in, they already know you and they, you know have a connection with you mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. they just want to take it to the next level so honestly it would i wouldn't be able to give you like a definite number but i it would depend on your offer it would depend on your audience it would depend on how they're finding you and and a bunch of factors would there be any case for oh i need to have this person you know after they opt in in a year in my email list before i sell them or is that too long. I'm just trying to get a sense of like. Yeah, no, no, that's way too long. Oh, essentially, like for evergreen programs, and because I've done like launches for products ranging from ninety-seven dollars to two thousand dollars, it varies, but it's never been more than like, say, for instance, now what like quite a few of our clients have pro- programs in the range of about thousand to two thousand dollars. So for them, and their conversion mechanism is a webinar. Um, so. What happens is like people sign up, we invite them to the webinar, we have like a webinar show up sequence kick in, which encourages them to come to the webinar live. So we have like about three emails generally go out for the webinar show up sequence. Um, And then the pitch is made on the webinar. So because the webinar does the job of educating them, so you, you know, and forming that connection with them validating their past experiences it does a lot in that 60 minutes ideally your webinars need to be like you know give good great value and then you make the pitch and then we have like a post webinar sales sequence so it's never too long 
it's always, you know, um, and a webinar can, can be yeah. evergreen too, part of yes. the evergreen situation. Absolutely. And that yeah. could be like, I, okay. So the reason why I brought that up is because I've seen programs out there that make it seem like it's a real webinar with fake, uh, you know, attendance counts, even fake conversations happening. So I'm always a little bit, ugh, I don't know about evergreen webinars. And I think oh, they're getting yeah. a bad rap because of that, but I know there's a great way to do it. Can like, in an ideal situation, if you were to use a webinar, which I agree, a web, I use webinars all the time for live launches. I love them. It's a great, quick way to establish a connection, to teach, yeah. to build a relationship, which speeds up the process for sure. Mm -hmm. But in an evergreen situation, what is the ideal sort of webinar structure? And, and, and besides like how long until they see that webinar, like just how do you position it? Yeah. So, um, so personally, like say we have a program that was on evergreen mode, uh, uh, for, uh, for a really long while and now we're reworking it right now. So I would like right up front, tell people like this is a recorded masterclass. Okay. So you actually and tell them that. Yes. Yes. There is absolutely like, and that's where your value system comes in. Right. right. I mean, like if you're saying that you're leading, uh, by example, if you're leading a business, you, you're growing a business of integrity and transparency, then like just saying that, oh, this is live makes no sense at all. So you want to be straight up front. You want to tell people this is a recorded masterclass to make it really easy for everybody to watch at their convenience. Simple as that. Okay. The third mistake I want to talk about with Evergreen Funnels is most people stop selling after pitching prospects once. So you have people go through your evergreen sequence and they don't buy and then you move them into your generic weekly email newsletter sequence. And that I feel is like a huge mistake. You do need to, again, continue the cycle and put your offer in front of them because people may not buy for any number of reasons. It could be that, you know, they missed your email. So they were away, they were on vacation, or maybe this was not like the best time. There were sick kids at home who needed more attention than your offer. So but that doesn't mean that they weren't interested. So move them back and, you know, you, sh you need to have a sequence in place where you bring your offer in front of them again. Um, so that's the other thing. And that's one of the reasons why I have great sequences. Sometimes people say they don't work for me. Well, did you only sell once? If mm -hmm. that, that, you know, that's the thing. And another one that we're seeing right now is not, like once you end your evergreen sequence, if you don't have a post sales survey in place to identify why people didn't buy and you're not then segmenting them and then, and this is ties into, you know, stop selling after you pitch once kind of thing. You need to know why they didn't buy and then you need to address those objections um, in a specific sequence just for that segment. So, for example, if you're like after your sequence ends and you ask people, so, you know, why didn't you buy? Was it because of money, time, which are the key objections, you know, that most people have. Right. Um, so ideally what you want to do is, you know, like have people click a link or take a survey, but um, and then segment them into those buckets and have like a sequence kick in that helps address those objections. So now you, they already know you, they're still on your list. They obviously trust you. They like you. So the reason they're not buying is very specific and it's your job to remove those objections. And you can easily, easily do that with a, like a well-written uh, segment specific email sequence.
Man, Prerna, this is so great. Like, I want to keep digging in, but, you know, I think we're at the end of our time here, crossing the 50-minute mark already, and this conversation's gone by so quickly. Thank you so much for coming on. There's so much more that we could talk about, and I know a lot of people are going to want to dig a lot deeper into this with you. Um, give us a, a, a URL, and, and where could people go from here to, to learn more and get, get some more great stuff from you? Because this has been absolutely fantastic. I mean, I've learned a lot in this conversation, <laughs> Thanks. Too. Thanks so much, Pat. Well, uh, so we've created like a special page with a lot of resources for all SBI listeners. So contentbistro.com backslash SBI will be the best place for everyone to go to. Okay, so Content Bistro, which is your brand. And mm-hmm. we, we, we haven't even impacted like what I love about that and how everything is sort of like food-based for you, right? Yeah. Like your proprietary yeah. stuff is all, like you have a thing called bake and you have another, it yep. just makes it so easy. And we didn't even dive into how important it is for you, the listener, to have your own sort of proprietary framework. We're yeah. all qualified to do that, yet nobody does that. So anyway, just a little comment on that. Uh, contentbistro.com slash SPI. More stuff about Evergreen, more stuff about copy there. Some really great resources, check it out. Prerna, thank you so much for being here today. We we appreciate you so much. Uh, so grateful to have you for help uh, here at Team SPI, as well as a student in the Accelerator program. Uh, you're just doing amazing work. Uh, keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Pat. This was so much fun. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Prerna from contentbistro.com slash SPI. That's where I'd recommend you go, contentbistro.com slash SPI for some goodies. Plus, of course, you can check out the show notes at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 423. What an epic podcast session that was with some really detailed and very specific things that we could do to legitimately make more money and help more people too. So that's really exciting, Perna. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you. I hope that you check out all that she has going on because she is just a master at what she does. So thank you, Perna. And thank you for listening in all the way through. I appreciate you for that. Make sure you hit subscribe because we have a special guest next week who I got to meet for the first time at Social Media Marketing World earlier this year before all the crazy happened here at early 2020. But uh, her name is Anne Hanley. And she's one of the most beloved marketers in the world. And I'm excited to introduce her to you and share a little bit more about her story to help you gain more super fans and raving fans for your business too. No matter if you are a solopreneur or you are a large corporation, either way, she's there to help you. So make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss that. We have some other amazing guests coming up. I'm looking at the lineup right now. Man, I wanna give them away so bad, but I'm, I'm gonna make you subscribe because I promise you it'll be worth it. So hit subscribe if you haven't already. Thank you so much for all the reviews that are coming in on Apple. I see them, I read them, no matter what country they come in. I use a tool called PodKite. Big shout out to PodKite to see all those in one spot. Not sponsored, by the way, just I love the tool. And uh, check them out if you have a podcast of your own. Anyway, thank you so much. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you next week. Until then, all the best. And as always, Team Flynn for the win. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point, so I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray, and in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. 
These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure and it always finds a bright side. I really love it and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it. 